Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast. I'm Robin Birkin, and I am so grateful and honoured that you're here today. From my own journey with infertility and loss to becoming a mind-body practitioner and holistic fertility coach, it is my sincere hope that I can help make your journey to conceive lighter, more supported, and easier by sharing deep emotional well-being guidance, doable conception tips, and real talk about what infertility and loss looks like. I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's begin. Hi everyone, I am excited to chat with you today and welcome back to another week in the Fertility Warriors podcast. It is my absolute pleasure today to welcome another fellow Aussie, although from the complete opposite end of Australia, which is actually a very large country, so we would have to fly like four or five hours if we ever wanted to meet each other in person. But we've known each other virtually for several years now and worked closely together. It is my friend, Jennifer Robertson. Welcome to the podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And today I really wanted to touch base with you on your story and share a very real and honest perspective on like what happens when it doesn't necessarily all go perfectly or when you have to pivot your journey and how do you navigate that journey? What does that look like? And I guess, you know, which we all know is that perfection is a unicorn. You don't have to be perfectly anything. You don't have to be perfectly healed. You don't have to navigate your journey perfectly, do every single thing perfectly in order to have a really great life, in order to still make progress on your journey. So I'm excited to have you here uh, and talk about this. And I love having really open and honest conversations with people. So hi and welcome and let's get started. Yes. And I love that. I love that you caveated it with, uh, you know, our journey was a huge example of pivot after pivot after pivot, you know, so many roadblocks put up in our place. And also the perfectionism as well, because I always say to people, don't do what I did. I did it all wrong. You know, I think the one thing that we had in our favor was we kept on getting back up and we kept on getting Mm -hmm. back up and we kept on getting back up. But did I do it perfectly? Absolutely not. And I think that that's what makes, you know, fertility coaches, and people in our position, um, you know, a lot more well-rounded as well because we have made the mistakes first and now we can actually kind of go, you know what, that didn't work. This perhaps might be a better way of doing things. Right. I think I'm exactly the same. I'm like, well, you know, I spent two, three years trying to conceive and doing this But then, you know, I took the long way around and then I started doing it this way and that felt a lot better. And then, you know, we go on to be like, we we say to people, you know, I want you to do it better than I did it, so let's do it. But I think the best place for us to start is probably at the very beginning. So tell me about what things looked like for you when you first started trying to conceive. Okay, so I am your typical type A personality, and that's where it all starts. 
so, you know, I like control. I had grown up in a family raised by a single mum. So I, you know, that was the example. It was you work hard to get what you want. And I had used that principle my whole life. So when infertility came along and when we started trying for a baby and it wasn't happening straight away, it really knocked me on my ass because Mm. I was throwing everything at it that I knew, that I knew worked up until that point. You know, I was successful in my career and I knew that if I just worked hard, if you double the effort, then you get the results. And this was the complete opposite. I was throwing absolutely everything at it and it wasn't working. So my husband and I started trying to conceive on our honeymoon. I had that perfect picture in my head of how things were going to turn around. And then perfectly three months later, I'll just announce to everyone. And of course, I was a planner as well. So I had actually gone to my calendar and on purpose, you know, planned out nine months in advance. I'd cleared my schedule. And it sounds so silly repeating it now, but this was the, this is what I had in my head. And it was from years of people saying to me, just, if you get off contraception, you're going to get pregnant. You know, like I just, I, my biggest fear up until that point was getting pregnant because Mm -hmm. I had been told that it is so easy sneeze and you get pregnant have unprotected sex and you get pregnant so that was my expectation and it was the first pivot that we had to do so yeah you know six months into our marriage you know like our sex life was pretty much in tatters because you know, I was obviously very much the planner. I knew, you know, when things were supposed to be happening. And so I approached it with the same level of planning and I guess sensitivity as I would with a project plan, you know, that's what I was doing at work. So I was managing our fertility journey and And so, yeah, six months down the track, we went to a doctor with our pretty much our sex life in tatters and you know, had to start going down that path and they did some tests. Um, I I didn't have a regular period. I had been on the contraceptive pill for the 16 years prior to that, which is a really long time for your body not to know what it's actually supposed to be doing naturally. My husband's sperm wasn't that fantastic. So they suggested off the bat that we go down the path of IVF. And By that stage, I was like, I have a problem. This is the solution. Sign me up. If that's all we have to do, I'm going to tick all of the boxes and we're going to get this done and I'm going to go home with my baby. Mm, Interesting that you say that because I always find, and I've probably mentioned this on a podcast before, that a lot of people, I find people with IVF are in two camps. Camp number one is really a little bit hesitant, like, oh, are you sure? Can I just have one more month of trying to conceive on our own? Surely, you know, like my body can just get there naturally. And then there's the other camp, which are like, fucking throw it at me, sign me up. I just want to get there as quick as possible. And I was like you, I was like, yeah, just give me the, okay, fine. That's how I'm going to get it. Just give me the cycles now. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Let's get this shit done. You know, yeah. I don't have time to waste around. I've got places to go, people to see. I've got my calendar all blocked out. So let's do this. So can I ask, so you had at the point that you went to see your doctor 
was when you were trying to, you'd been trying to conceive for six months. Yeah. So I was 33 at the time. And Mm -hmm. so a quick consult of Google showed me that I was beyond my prime, which sounds ridiculous saying it now because I did end up having (laughs) my last baby when I was 39 naturally. So, you know, crazy, but yes, that's, that's, you know, I I went in there and that was, you know, that was the Mm -hmm. path for us. Gotcha. So I think lesson number one is if you feel like something might be wrong, you can always just go to your doctor and ask some questions and keep taking the next steps. Like the, the, the thing that I always think is like, don't like, don't wait three years before seeing anyone. Um, because I'm like, what if there is something going on? So if you didn't have a regular period, did you have anything, any thoughts like, Oh, maybe this, you know, is not going to happen for us. Maybe there's something wrong. Or were you like, oh, this is weird. Like I've just come off the pill, but it should be all fine. Well, yeah, I just, you know, I think it was at that point in time that the thoughts started coming up, the doubt yeah. started setting in. And I was like, what, what if this doesn't happen, you know, and yeah. then all of the guilt and then you rerun everything that you've done in the mm-hmm. last 30 years of your life you know did I drink too much did I smoke too many cigarettes when I was a teenager you know did did I not look after my body is this karma is this something that I've done you know like our mind can just completely go off on a whole different tangent so that's where I was and it was it was six months in yeah so you went to the doctor straight away they're like man just go through with IVF is that what happened Yeah, so we started pretty much straight away and we got halfway through that cycle and after all of the the scans, they realised that I wasn't getting a lining on my uterus and my periods were really light. I never had a, 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 you know, like even a normal period. It was just really, really light. So yes, that was the discovery and the fact that I wasn't getting a lining on my uterus meant that they would you know, that they couldn't go through with the transfer, which was devastating. But we ended up keeping going through that cycle because we wanted to put some eggs and embryos in the bank. So we kept going through with that cycle. I think we got about six um, six frozen embryos in total. And then we didn't know what to do. We, we yeah. had to work out a strategy of how to thicken my lining without really knowing what the problem was. So what was your mindset and what did like your actions look like at that point? So there, you're going through an IVF cycle, you know, let's get this show on the road. Yep. I'll take IVF. And then they're like, well, Miss Robertson, we have, there's some issues with your lining here. What, what, what is your mindset like at this point? What are the thoughts going on in your head at that point? My initial thought was, well, tell me what I have to do next. You know, give me a tablet, give me an injection, give yeah. me a surgery. Give me a checklist. You know, if you, yeah, <laughs> if you it. tell me to stand on my head, I will do it. Tell me what to do. And the yeah. fertility specialist that we were going to see at that point in time, she just shrugged her shoulders. You know, she said that she would go and and find out from some other medical professionals what the best course of action was. And she never called us back. We never heard back from her. So 
for the next basically year, we, we floated and I did my own investigation. I became my own fertility specialist, which, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, that Google rabbit hole that you go down and it was a frenzy. And I was just, I was, I threw everything at it. So given my personality, I, I was doing all the things. We went and saw a homeopath and so we're trying different medicines and elements there we tried different diets I did acupuncture I did fertility teas everything that you can possibly think of I tried and then when none of that worked we had to go back and find another fertility specialist and so what so of all the things that you tried were there any that you were that you felt helped in any way or that you felt were worthwhile or by and large, were you just like junk, 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 junk? Yeah, because I was so driven, my only goal was to get pregnant. My only goal was to, you know, get that lining. My only goal was to get a, a regular period. So by that stage, I didn't care whether it made me feel good or not. And I'm sure that some of the things did. Uh, but that wasn't the goal. So the only thing that I could see at that point in time was I am not achieving my goal. This is all bullshit. And what do I need to do next? Yeah. And all the while, do you feel, what What are you thinking? Are you like, well, I'm doing all the things or were you like, what am I missing? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Yeah. For me, for me, it went down the path of like, what's wrong with me? It was, it was a complete failure and, and that's when my mental health really took a dive down because, you know, I, I, it was taking so much from me, you know, you put your life on hold, you can no longer hang around with your friends, my family, you know, my sister had just had her third baby. So that was another challenge you know and then everyone around you my job it was it was all just this all-consuming thing so for me it was like this frenzy and it was the the self-punishment you know and Mm. with all of the stuff I just kept on pushing it down I was in complete denial and the only thing that I felt at that point in time was anger like Mm. like pure rage at the injustice of it all yeah I feel like I had a lot of anger that I didn't realize was anger until it was spelled out for me very directly by my fertility specialist (laughs) you're really angry and I'm like fuck I am um and so you had quite a high level management role like you were a CFO weren't you yeah yeah I was at that point and you know I guess it was a savior and it was a curse at the at the same time so my my job was an escape for me where I was in control there so Mm -hmm. I was able to tell people what to do they would do it and so it was it was providing me with some direction and you know like that stability in the storm Mm. that you're going through. But on the other hand, it was also another source of stress for me. And and I learned down the track, you know, hindsight's such a wonderful thing that it definitely wasn't helping me. And in fact, 
you know, who knows, but I truly believe it's one of the things that was, was hindering me as well, because it had such like stress had such an impact on, on everything that I did. And by then there was just, there was no break from the stress levels because I was Mm. completely consumed, whether it was at work or, you know, in, in my fertility struggles, because there was only two boxes there. It was work and fertility. Yeah. And I feel as well, I don't know if you feel the same. So I, I was not a CFO, but I was a marketing manager with staff under me. And I really felt like I didn't have the opportunity ever to be vulnerable because then I would not be seen as a strong leader in my career. So it was almost like I felt like had to keep it together. I had to be strong. I had to be show to show everyone like the full upper level management that I was doing the work and I was capable. And it was like, I never had that opportunity to be vulnerable or, you know, not completely have it together. It was almost like I overworked and overcompensated in my job and was like full hard ass in order to ensure that I was still the manager that, you know, they expected me to be. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I I didn't tell anyone at work what I was going through. I hit it the whole time, which was good in a way because I was able to separate it out. But Mm. also, you know, people had no idea why I was being unreasonable Mm. in my job. They had no idea that we just had our third or fourth or fifth failed IVF cycle. They had no idea that I was having to run to the bathroom in my break to inject mm. myself in the stomach. You know, they had yeah. no idea what, what, what I was going through. So it, it's kind of like that double-edged sword of, you know, you want to keep it private because, you know, yeah, you do have the, that role and responsibility and, mm. you know, I don't want to get to the male, female gender roles and everything, but I really felt like I had to prove myself even more that, yeah. I was almost yeah. like this hard-ass bitch that, yeah, I can do anything that a man can do. And as it turned out behind the scenes, I couldn't do the thing that yeah. a woman could do. Yeah. And also just like things, you know, like trying to get to the fertility clinic in the morning for your blood draw and also then trying to get to work first thing in the morning so nobody at work knows or if heaven forbid like some days you just I don't know about what your clinic was like but sometimes I'd walk in early and it'd be fucking packed and so you just Mm -hmm. have to suck it up and be late and so then to have to walk into work and be and be late like that's stressful oh yeah I became very creative with my excuses for why I was late for Mm. work you know it was just one of those things I remember one day um, having to to carry, you know, a pot of, of my husband's semen in my handbag on the train to work and being stressed at every stop thinking, oh my goodness, are we going to get there on time so that I can make this deposit? Just some of the stuff that you go through is absolutely crazy. And that's an extra level of stress added to it as well. Like, how do you do this? And still maintain a career and a life and home life and still tick all of the boxes at the same time. So you're like having a rough time. You are crumbling. Your mental health is suffering. You're trying to keep a front and a strong front at 
work. And so you mentioned before, you know, three or four IVF cycles. So I'm guessing, so what, tell me about what happened. So you had your first IVF cycle, they decided to go through and do like a freeze all to Mm -hmm. uh, save some eggs. What, so what happened after that? Yeah, so after the year that we spent, as I like to refer it as a rogue and just trying absolutely everything, we ended up finding a different specialist this time. Yeah. And then they we went through the medical side of things. So they had a few exploratory surgeries, you know, trying to rule out Asherman syndrome and a whole lot of different things. We tried Viagra pessaries. We tried vitamin A. We tried all of the different things that, you know, that they could prescribe me, hormone replacement therapy, the whole thing, and could not work out how mm. to thicken the lining. And so our fertility doctor then kind of sat us down and said, look, the only way that you're actually going to be able to have a child of your own is to find a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And so that was... the the path that we went down next and it was met with you know to be honest with you by that stage I was so desperate I was just like sign me up it was the same with the IVF if this is Mm -hmm. your solution we have we'd been on the path for two years by then and had achieved nothing we had six embryos we had nowhere to to put them nothing to do with them and so my initial reaction was, yep, let's do it. This is this is it. I didn't really think of the emotional consequences of that decision. I didn't really think of how I needed to prepare myself or support myself through the journey. It was merely, what's the problem? What's the solution? Let's tick the box. Yeah. So had you had any transfers by that point? No, they. I didn't even you just get never to that get point. there. No, there was absolutely no point to do that because there, it was just non-existent. My body mm-hmm. was just not doing what it was supposed to be doing, and they couldn't find a reason for it. So, were you shocked when they told you that surrogacy was going to be your only next option? Look, no, I don't think so. You know, as as a planner, we're always ten steps ahead. So mm. we had already done all of the research of what is next so we'd already had a look at the surrogacy laws and we were lucky enough that a few months before that was the diagnosis or the next step for us that that my sister-in-law actually put her hand up and said look if you need to have a baby I will have one for you and at the time we didn't we kind of laughed it off but but, you know, after that appointment, we that's where we were. We were sitting in mm. the car and making the phone call to her and saying, we'll remember have that a baby time. for us. Yeah, remember that time you, you flippantly said that? Well, did you mean it? You know, mm. so, and, and that was that was it. You know, she obviously had to check with her husband and she had two children as well. So... You know, it wasn't a decision that was made lightly, but it was a pretty easy decision by Mm -hmm. all involved because she'd seen us struggling for two years. Mm. And I guess also by the point time that the fertility specialist raised this with you, you, it's almost like little bit by little bit, your mind had maybe chipped away 
at the realization that this might occur. So it wasn't necessarily like out of the blue. You'd already had a little bit of time to like adjust in your mind, I guess. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly what it is. I think it is having to get used to an idea because I kept on going back to that picture in my head, you know, and that picture was me being pregnant. That picture was me getting pregnant from having sex. It was all of those different things. So You know, we spoke about the beginning having to pivot and that was it. I had to pivot from that picture that I had in my head every single time. It was just kind of like, okay, sex is not going to equal a baby for us. Okay, let's do IVF. Okay, IVF is not going to equal a baby for us alone. We have to go down the path of surrogacy. So it was just kind of like one thing after the other. And to be honest with you, I guess the shock for us was that, you know, when we did go down the path of surrogacy and it you know it's very in-depth it's not just kind of like just do surrogacy it's so easy you know in in Australia surrogacy or commercial surrogacy isn't legal Mm. so we there's like a six-month waiting list isn't there uh it's and you know at the time that we went through it it was like the laws had just been passed in the state that we're in in Queensland so it hadn't been tried or tested or anything. So we were going through with very little guidance through this mm. very regulated process. And of course, you know, me being very impatient, it took us at least six months just to get all of the tests done, all of the psych evaluations, the, the legal documents, the surrogacy agreements to go be, mm. be, before a board of fertility specialists declaring that this was the only option for us so so many hoops that we had to get through just to get to that point so by the time that we started I was like right we've got this and we are ready once again I was like right this is the solution I'm going to walk home with my baby in six months time and that is not the way that it happened we had to pivot and pivot and pivot over and over again so in total we went through about nine IVF cycles beyond that and some of them were full cycles where I had to do the egg collections and some of them were transfers where it didn't work some of them were sores where the embryo didn't survive it was just time after time and for us you know there was the extra level on top because it wasn't just us you know I could go through this forever forever you know I just well I probably couldn't have but in my mind I was so hell-bent on this is it yeah I am gonna do it I didn't get this far to walk away from it I was so determined at that stage that I I just was gonna keep on going back and back and back but I knew that we were dragging along someone else with us who was not getting paid for it who Mm -hmm. had her own family at the time I was putting her own life on hold at that point too and I didn't know when was enough for her and I couldn't rely on myself to pull the pins so we were just living in fear wondering when is enough enough for her. Hi, and thank you so much for listening today. This is Robin, and today's episode is brought to you by a new masterclass that I have launched, and I feel like it's going to be a game changer for anyone who would like more tools to navigate infertility, loss, and trying to conceive emotionally. 
I feel like it's also a lot of stuff that nobody's really talking about. The masterclass is called Three TTC Myths That Are Keeping You Anxious and Stressed. We're going to talk all about how to cope emotionally through infertility and loss and what to do instead so that you can finally step out of that muddy fog of infertility, of endless cycles of hope and grief so that you can reclaim your journey and your life. You can rediscover yourself and feel like the old you again in an easier, quicker and make your life more awesomer way. So to join me on this masterclass, head to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. It's free to attend. It'll take you about an hour. And like I said, I feel like it's some strategies that are not only easier than what most people are telling you when they give you a flick of the wrist and say, try a guided meditation or when they give you things like just relax or just take a holiday. We're going to talk about the things that actually matter the myths that are keeping you stressed and anxious and the easier strategies that really do help people cope emotionally with trying to conceive loss and infertility. To learn more, go to robinburkin.com slash masterclass. Okay, let's get back into the episode. I suppose as well, I mean, was there those moments of like, fuck, what is she saying behind our back? Like, does she go to bed at night and like curse us or maybe that's she like- was she was so amazing she was such a trooper there were no thoughts at that I think it was just more more guilt of mm. she is just a trooper and you know by that stage we I think I think it was probably about a year and a half into it you know from when when we had the signed surrogacy agreement and we had, I think that we had insulated ourselves so much that we were, we were all hurting so much that we just, we just went into our own little bubble. Yeah. And that's a long, it's a long journey and that's a lot. And I think sometimes we can get to this point where, and we can keep busy with our jobs. We can keep busy with things and we can say to ourselves, like, I'm just going to keep my head down, bum up and just like work hard. And it, like, it's going to happen. Like surely if I just keep throwing everything at it, it's going to happen. And then sometimes we reach this point where it's like, you just can't continue to push through anymore. Like the mm. cracks just appear and it, you know, you had you, can't continue with that low level or like hiding all of the stress under a rug it, like eventually mm. it catches up with you so yeah and that's definitely one of the lessons that I learned is that you know like the the pushing of it down it eventually comes up and you know the thing I think that kept us pushing along was on one of those cycles she got pregnant yeah and it didn't, I mean, that was absolutely amazing. And, and it gave us all this little bit of hope because up until then we were like, are we just basically throwing shit on the wall here, just praying for it to stick? Cause that's what it felt like. We were just throwing everything at it. Yeah. Or all of your, point. all of your money. As well. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Yes. The money is just absolutely incredible. But, you know, like eventually she got pregnant and that was the thing for us. We were like, okay. And 
you know, unfortunately, six weeks later, she had a miscarriage, which, you know, was another one of those bubbles and that fear of, oh, my goodness, like, we put her through this. Mm. And, you know, and, and it was that point in time that we were like, okay, we need to take a break and regroup because up until then it was just, we were just go, 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 go. Yeah. So we took the break. She went away for a much needed holiday with her family. And the biggest fear, as I said before, the biggest fear was, is this it for her? And if that's yeah. the case, then what do we do? Like we, yeah. we couldn't afford to go through this again. We, we just didn't have the emotional capacity to be able to go through this again. But the trooper that she was, she came back and yeah, she was like, yes, I know, we know we can do it now. So we, we kept on going and a couple of cycles later, she got pregnant again and, and this one stuck, you know. So we went through the next nine months awkwardly um, watching someone else carrying your baby Mm. can you know like as someone who is very controlling like me it's I think one of the biggest emotions and I didn't really understand it until I heard someone saying it on a podcast about six months ago and they said that that first scan the moment when you see your baby but it's inside someone else it's grief yeah grief that you couldn't do it layers and upon layers of grief of all of the like pivots that you've made I can imagine and um lots of mixed feelings at exactly the same time yes and guilt guilt as well because we had achieved something that other people would kill to be in this position you know so there was guilt there was you know denial there was immense amount of gratitude of how do you thank this person for doing this enormous thing and it wasn't just a tick the box let's get in let's have this baby by that stage you know by the time Luca was born we'd we'd been through it took us five years yeah five years from beginning to the moment that he was born so so many mixed emotions by that stage and so many things that we just hadn't considered in terms of the the surrogacy as well so many little details of you know documenting it of do you have a baby shower do you announce your pregnancy you know do you get photos like a a pregnancy photo shoot you know I remember the the week before we brought Luca home and we had to tell our neighbours that we were bringing home this baby because they had no idea what we were going through and we didn't want them to think that we Mm. were coming home that we'd stolen a baby and here we (sighs) were coming home so you know even the conversation at work at that point you know I had to tell my boss that we were having a baby that I was pregnant that I would need maternity leave and they had no idea so then I had to go back to the beginning and actually tell them well actually since I've been working here you won't believe this this is what we've had to do and and sharing such a vulnerable part that I wasn't comfortable with it 
you know, and everyone was just kind of like, wow, what an amazing story. But I wasn't comfortable with it. I didn't want yeah. to, this to be, you know, our story at all. And so just to quickly ask this question, though, if you had your time again, do you feel like you would have told your workplace everything or do you, do you feel like that was the right thing? Like you look, you know, I, I have no idea. I don't think it would have made it any easier. I think this yeah. journey is hard, no matter yeah. what you do. I don't think that there's a right way or a wrong way. I think it's just whatever you need in that moment at that point in time. So yeah, yeah and we make the I, best I decision for ourselves, given the knowledge that we have in any given moment. Yeah. So did you have, up until the moment that Luca was born, did you have any breakthrough moments or, or like break apart moments when you were like, actually, I, I'm not sure that I'm coping with this in the way that I could be coping with this and start the process of grieving, of healing, of, you know, navigating all of the, the difficult scenarios and things that you'd been through or were you still very much almost like holding your breath and trying to power through right up until the moment that Luca was born look I wish that I could say yes I had this amazing epiphany halfway through and I got some help but no it's box number two I held my breath I pushed it all down I was in complete denial I thought that once we got off and once he was placed in my arms, it would all fall away and we would forget about all of the grief and all of the things that we had been through and it would be like it never existed. Obviously, that didn't happen. You know, I still can't tell my story without crying through it, which mm. is not a bad thing. Um, I think that it, it proves that, you know, it, this journey really does change us no matter where you are on it. And you know, that was seven years ago that mm. that we began or that Luca was born. I mean, Luca's seven years old. So so we went through all of that and, and it still has the the ability to to knock me over. So I wish that there was some stuff that I had done that mm. had lightened the load a little. If that's one of the I mean, that's one of the big lessons and, and that's why I do what I do today so that people are given a space to be able to deal with it and process it just a little bit at a time. You know, you don't have to go into a full on therapy session and dig and delve and, and pull up all of these emotions. But I think developing some strategies to be able to lighten the load a little bit as you're going through that. And I, I wish that I had done that. I didn't but mm. hindsight is such a wonderful thing yeah and so talk to me so Luca was born and then all of a sudden you know you thought all of that grief all of the heavy emotions all of the trauma that you've been through uh, like everything would melt away it didn't quite melt away but here you are now suddenly going from like you, you, all of a sudden you've got a baby you're a mum it, it's you you're it mm -hmm. <laughs> um and navigating that side of, I guess, life after infertility, 
Um, and then talk to us about your daughter and how that came to be. Yes. So two weeks after Luca was placed in our arms, I got pregnant naturally myself. Shut the front door. I did not know that it was only two weeks later. Yeah. Wow. So I remember going in to our doctor with you know, a newborn baby and then doing a blood draw for me and then just looking at me going, that's not possible. And I'm like, well, funny story. Here yeah. it is, you know. And so, yeah, that, that's where we were. And it was yet another another chance or a time that, that we were pivoting and, you know, a very awkward conversation with our surrogate who still had the stitches in her stomach from the cesarean section and going back to her and going, so it turns out that all of the shit that we put you through, I can do it myself. So lots of pivoting and, you know, trying to, to navigate our way through it. I, I mean, like it was absolutely this amazing miracle, whatever you want to call it, that it happened and unfortunately, nine weeks later, I had my own miscarriage. Ah, yeah. So, and that was another point in time where you just kind of like, seriously, what the fuck is going on here? Like, mm -hmm. why? You know, and am I, my mind just went back to what possible reason could there be for this? Like, what? Yeah. what's the lesson here? Like, mm -hmm. we had, you know, we'd always wanted two children, but having spent the last five years going through this, we were definitely resigned to the fact that we were going to have one child. We were okay with that, but we were resigned to that fact. And then all of a sudden, you know, we'd been given this glimmer of hope again. I was pregnant naturally. And then we go through a miscarriage. I was, I was like, mm -hmm. just, I could not comprehend it. Mm -hmm. For me, that was probably rock bottom. Yeah, because it just it didn't make sense, you know. Like I, I couldn't work out why, and and I felt like I had been robbed as well. Like here I had this beautiful newborn baby, and I was grieving another one. So yeah. for for me, you know, I always say that you know in those moments where of, of miscarriage, the devastation, like it gave it still gave me a little bit of hope that yeah. you know all of a sudden my body was kind of like oh hello you work this is mm -hmm. this is okay so you know I had that in the back of my mind that that we could actually do this and so you know we were kind of trying but not trying I was always trying I just didn't tell my husband about it but you know after after five years of monitoring my cycle and how do you not know that exactly <laughs> like I still know exactly what's going on with my body yeah. because you monitor it down to the absolute second so um so yeah we like we kept on kind of trying and six months later I got pregnant naturally myself and and yeah we went through obviously nine months of fear of excitement I think that I had gone through so much trauma to get to that point. And a lot of the things I can't actually remember during my pregnancy mm. because it was just so much grief and trauma. You oh. know, I, I was just, I just had to get through it, you know? Yeah. 
And so, yeah, nine months later, we we had Sophie. I was breastfeeding at my 40th birthday. It was just, it, you know, there's 17 months in between Luca and Sophie. It's just the the most, it's an example of pivoting and pivoting and pivoting and getting to the end and having, you know, if anyone looked at us from the outside, we have this picture postcard, you know, family the perfect family and yet the path that we went down it was seven years of you know like it just this wish wash of grief love gratitude sadness denial like so much stuff just mixed all into one and and here we are so what would you say have been some of the biggest lessons or like I don't know what to say like things that you've learned about either yourself or about how to navigate life since going through that big experience Mm. for me the, the I mean the biggest thing is about the emotions you know the emotions will continue to come shit will still continue to be thrown at you and if you for me like I didn't look after my mental health I I was in denial I didn't make it a priority I figured it would just kind of go away the biggest lesson that I learned was that you have to deal with it you have to it just doesn't magically go away so for me it is about working out ways to actually deal with the heavy emotions like not eliminate them but how do you how do you work your way through them without actually them consuming you and swallowing you whole yeah yeah and and I guess another big thing for me is you know like that that attitude of hard work you know Mm -hmm. and I and I use it to this day as well it is it's really hard for me to slow down. It's really hard for me to take the step back because that's always been hard work, hard work. Whereas I have learned now that balance and consistency is a lot more important in anything. And, you know, we go through stages on our fertility journey where just kind of like, I was all or nothing. You know, you, you mm. do everything and you do it all perfectly and you balance all of these balls and you tick all of the boxes. And then you're so exhausted that you're just kind of like, well, fuck it, I'm going to do nothing now and I'm going to drink the wine and I'm going to drink the chocolate ice cream, eat the chocolate ice cream and do all of those different things. So for me, it was what I needed was to work out how to find the balance between being on the journey and still living. Yeah, absolutely. So how, so you now work as a fertility coach. How did that come to be? Um, I, I look, it just, it kind of was one of those gradual things. You know, I would tell people my story and they would cry ultimately and then they would tell me about someone that they knew who was going through it. Or they would tell me that they were going through it as well. And I could see the, you know, the relief that they were getting. And mm. it's just one of those things that I gradually moved into, into that 
space. You know, for a long time, I was doing both. I was being a CFO and I was being a fertility coach. But, you know, it's something that I'm really driven to now that, you know, it's, I just see all of the benefits and, and I want to make sure that no one else goes through the shit that I went through. Totally. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think so many people who, you know, not everyone, but so many people who work with others who are navigating infertility loss, like these really difficult journeys to conceive. Many of us, it's born by this almost like don't do what I do or let me help it not suck for you as much as it like it sucked for me. Mm. Oh, that is, that is a big and a very big powerful story. So before we get onto a speed round, can you share with us a little bit more about if people want to know more about your story, more about what you do, more about some of the lessons that you've learned and the things you can help them with where can they find you? Look, if they want to know more about my story, um, they can grab a copy of my book, The Injustice of Infertility. It's available at all major online retailers. Um, and they can find me on Instagram. I love Instagram. That's where I kind of live. Uh, you can find me at Ms. Jennifer Robertson. I also have a, a pregnancy support group as well, supporting women who are pregnant after infertility or loss. That's over at Instagram as well, at Your Pregnancy Haven. And also my website as well. Yay. And what's, tell, tell everyone your website. So www.jenniferrobertson.co or for pregnancy after infertility or loss, it is www.yourpregnancyhaven.co. Love it. So, Jen, are you ready for our speed round? Let's do it. Do you have a favorite quote or affirmation? Yes. It is a quote by Mark Twain. Under certain circumstances, profanity provides a relief denied even to prayer. I believe that it helps to swear. I have never heard that one before. I love it. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? Well, apart from my own book, of course. Um, I love anything by Brene Brown, especially Mm. The Gift of Imperfection for someone like me, Invaluable. And if you had one message, like one thing that you could scream from the rooftops that you wanted everyone to know, what would that be? It's, it's not your fault. It's not karma. It's not because you didn't think positively. It's not because you didn't believe. It's not because you didn't have hope. Not everything happens for a reason. So you need to stop punishing yourself. Oh, yes. Big yeses to that. Jennifer. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I know that, you know, you had both a long and a difficult journey, lots of pivoting. And I know that it's not always easy for us to be really vulnerable, but that it helps so many others when we get to know that we are not alone uh, on the path that we're walking. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Warriors, I will catch you next week for our chats. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the Fertility Warriors. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can come and find me at Robin Birkin on Instagram. I share content almost every day. I answer lots of your questions and I love hearing from you at Robin Birkin on my Instagram channel. That's all for me today and I'll catch you next week.
Bye.